0: Chapter 9, The Work and the Life God is the source of life and light and joy to the universe. Like rays of light from the sun, like the streams of water bursting from a living spring, blessings flow out from him to all his creatures. And wherever the life of God is in the hearts of men, it will flow out to others in love and blessing. Our Savior's joy was in the uplifting and redemption of fallen men. For this he counted not his life dear unto himself, but endured the cross, despising the shame. So angels are ever engaged in working for the happiness of others. This is their joy. That which selfish hearts would regard as humiliating service, ministering to those who are wretched and in every way inferior in character and rank, is the work of sinless angels. The Spirit of Christ's self-sacrificing love is the Spirit that pervades heaven and is the very essence of its bliss. This is the Spirit that Christ's followers will possess, the work that they will do. When the love of Christ is enshrined in the heart, like sweet fragrance it cannot be hidden. Its holy influence will be felt by all with whom we come in contact. The Spirit of Christ in the heart is like a spring in the desert, flowing to refresh all and making those who are ready to perish eager to drink of the water of life. Love to Jesus will be manifested in a desire to work as He worked for the blessing and uplifting of humanity. It will lead to love, tenderness, and sympathy toward all the creatures of our Heavenly Father's care. Savior's life on earth was not a life of ease and devotion to himself, but he toiled with persistent, earnest, untiring effort for the salvation of lost mankind. From the manger to Calvary, he followed the path of self-denial and sought not to be released from arduous tasks, painful travels, and exhausting care and labor. He said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister." and to give his life a ransom for many, Matthew 20, verse 28. This was the one great object of his life. Everything else was secondary and subservient. It was his meat and drink to do the will of God and to finish his work. Self and self-interest had no part in his labor. So those who are the partakers of the grace of Christ will be ready to make any sacrifice That others for whom he died may share the heavenly gift. They will do all they can to make the world better for their stay in it. The Spirit is the sure outgrowth of a soul truly converted. No sooner does one come to Christ than there is born in his heart a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he has found in Jesus. The saving and sanctifying truth cannot be shut up in his heart. If we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and are filled with the joy of his indwelling spirit, we shall not be able to hold our peace. If we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we shall have something to tell. Like Philip, when he found the Savior, we shall invite others into his presence. We shall seek to present to them the attractions of Christ and the unseen realities of the world to come. There will be an intensity of desire to follow in the path that Jesus trod. There will be an earnest longing that those around us may behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John 1.29 And the effort to bless others will react in blessings upon ourselves. This was the purpose of God in giving us a part to act in the plan of redemption. He has granted men the privilege of becoming partakers of the divine nature and, in their turn, of diffusing blessings to their fellow men. This is the highest honor, the greatest joy, that it is possible for God to bestow upon men. Those who thus become participants in labors of love are brought nearest to their Creator. God might have committed the message of the gospel and all the work of loving ministry to the heavenly angels, He might have employed other means for accomplishing his purpose, but in his infinite love he chose to make us co-workers with himself, with Christ and the angels, that we might share the blessing, the joy, the spiritual uplifting which results from this unselfish ministry. We are brought into sympathy with Christ through the fellowship of his sufferings, Every act of self-sacrifice for the good of others strengthens the spirit of beneficence in the giver's heart, allying him more closely to the Redeemer of the world, who was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. And it is only as we thus fulfill the divine purpose in our creation that life can be a blessing to us. If you will go to work as Christ designs that His disciples shall, and win souls for Him, you will feel the need of a deeper experience and a greater knowledge in divine things, and will hunger and thirst after righteousness. You will plead with God, and your faith will be strengthened, and your soul will drink deeper drafts at the well of salvation. Encountering opposition and trials will drive you to the Bible in prayer. You will grow in grace, and the knowledge of Christ, and will develop a rich experience. The spirit of unselfish labor for others gives depth, stability, and Christ-like loveliness to the character and brings peace and happiness to its possessor. The aspirations are elevated. There is no room for sloth or selfishness. Those who thus exercise the Christian graces will grow and become strong to work for God they will have clear spiritual perceptions, a steady growing faith, and an increased power in prayer. The Spirit of God, moving upon their spirit, calls forth the sacred harmonies of the soul in answer to the divine touch. Those who thus devote themselves to unselfish effort for the good of others are most surely working out their own salvation. The only way to grow in grace is to be disinterestedly doing the very work which Christ has enjoined upon us, to engage to the extent of our ability in helping and blessing those who need the help we can give them. Strength comes by exercise. Activity is the very condition of life. Those who endeavor to maintain Christian life by passively accepting the blessings that come through the means of grace and doing nothing for Christ are simply trying to live by eating without working. And in the spiritual, as in the natural world, this always results in degeneration and decay. A man who would refuse to exercise his limbs would soon lose all power to use them. Thus, the Christian, who will not exercise his God-given powers, not only fails to grow up into Christ, but he loses the strength that he already had. The Church of Christ is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. Its mission is to carry the gospel to the world, and the obligation rests upon all Christians. Everyone, to the extent of his talent and opportunity, is to fulfill the Savior's commission. The love of Christ, revealed to us, makes us debtors to all who know him not. God has given us light, not for ourselves alone, but to shed upon them. If the followers of Christ were awake to duty, there would be thousands where there is one today proclaiming the gospel in heathen lands, and all who could not personally engage in the work would yet sustain it with their means, their sympathy, and their prayers, and there would be far more earnest labor for souls in Christian countries. We need not go to heathen lands or even leave the narrow circle of the home if it is there that our duty lies in order to work for Christ. We can do this in the home circle, in the church, among those with whom we associate and with whom we do business. The greater part of our Savior's life on earth was spent in patient toil in the carpenters shop at Nazareth. Ministry and angels attended the Lord of life as he walked side by side with peasants and laborers, unrecognized and unhonored. He was as faithfully fulfilling his mission while working at his humble trade, as when he healed the sick or walked upon the storm-tossed waves of Galilee. So, in the humblest duties and lowliest positions of life, we may walk and work with Jesus. The Apostle says, Let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. 1 Corinthians 7.24 the businessman may conduct his business in a way that will glorify his master because of his fidelity. If he is a true follower of Christ, he will carry his religion into everything that is done and reveal to men the Spirit of Christ. The mechanic may be a diligent and faithful representative of him who toiled in the lowly walks of life among the hills of Galilee. Everyone who names the name of Christ should so work that others, by seeing his good works, may be led to glorify their Creator and Redeemer. Many have excused themselves from rendering their gifts to the service of Christ because others were possessed of superior endowments and advantages. The opinion has prevailed that only those who are especially talented are required to consecrate their abilities to the service of God. It has come to be understood by many that Talents are given to only a certain favored class to the exclusion of others who, of course, are not called upon to share in the toils or the rewards. But it is not so represented in the parable. When the master of the house called his servants, he gave to every man his work. With a loving spirit, we may perform life's humblest duties as to the Lord, Colossians 3.23. If the love of God is in the heart... It will be manifested in the life. The sweet savor of Christ will surround us and our influence will elevate and bless. You are not to wait for great occasions or to expect extraordinary abilities before you go to work for God. You need not have a thought of what the world will think of you. If your daily life is a testimony to the purity and sincerity of your faith and others are convinced that you desire to benefit them, your efforts will not be wholly lost. The humblest and poorest of the disciples of Jesus can be a blessing to others. They may not realize that they are doing any special good, but by their unconscious influence, they may start waves of blessing that will widen and deepen, and the blessed results they may never know until the day of final reward. They do not feel or know that they are doing anything great, They are not required to weary themselves with anxiety about success. They have only to go forward quietly, doing faithfully the work that God's providence assigns, and their life will not be in vain. Their own souls will be growing more and more into the likeness of Christ. They are workers together with God in this life and are thus fitting for the higher work and the unshadowed joy of the life to come. Chapter 10 A Knowledge of God Many are the ways in which God is seeking to make Himself known to us and bring us into communion with Him. Nature speaks to our senses without ceasing. The open heart will be impressed with the love and glory of God as revealed through the works of His hands. The listening ear can hear and understand the communications of God through the things of nature. The green fields, the lofty trees, the buds and flowers, the passing cloud, the falling rain, the babbling brook, the glories of the heavens speak to our hearts and invite us to become acquainted with him who made them all. Our Savior bound up his precious lessons with the things of nature—the trees, the birds, the flowers of the valleys The hills the lakes and the beautiful heavens as well as the incidents and surroundings of daily life were all linked with the words of truth that his lessons might thus be often recalled to mind even amid the busy cares of man's life of toil god would have his children appreciate his works and delight in the simple quiet beauty with which he has adorned our earthly home he is a lover of the beautiful And above all that is outwardly attractive, he loves beauty of character. He would have us cultivate purity and simplicity, the quiet graces of the flowers. If we will but listen, God's created works will teach us precious lessons of obedience and trust. From the stars that in their trackless courses through space follow from age to age their appointed path, down to the minutest atom— The things of nature obey the Creator's will. And God cares for everything and sustains everything that He has created. He who upholds the unnumbered worlds throughout immensity at the same time cares for the wants of the little brown sparrow that sings its humble song without fear. When men go forth to their daily toil, as when they engage in prayer— When they lie down at night and when they rise in the morning, when the rich man feasts in his palace or when the poor man gathers his children about the scanty board, each is tenderly watched by the Heavenly Father. No tears are shed that God does not notice. There is no smile that He does not mark. If we would but fully believe this, all undue anxiety would be dismissed. Our lives would not be so filled with disappointment as now, for everything, whether great or small, would be left in the hands of God, who is not perplexed by the multiplicity of cares or overwhelmed by their weight. We should then enjoy a rest of soul to which many have long been strangers. As your senses delight in the attractive loveliness of the earth, think of the world that is to come that shall never know the blight of sin and death, where the face of nature will no more wear the shadow of the curse. Let your imagination picture the home of the saved, and remember that it will be more glorious than your brightest imagination can portray. In the varied gifts of God in nature we see but the faintest gleaming of His glory. It is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, 1 Corinthians 2, nine. The poet and the naturalist have many things to say about nature, but it is the Christian who enjoys the beauty of the earth with the highest appreciation, because he recognizes his father's handiwork and perceives his love and flower and shrub and tree. No one can fully appreciate the significance of hill and vale, river and sea, who does not look upon them as an expression of God's love to man. God speaks to us through his providential workings and through the influence of his Spirit upon the heart. In our circumstances and surroundings, in the changes daily taking place around us, we may find precious lessons if our hearts are but open to discern them. The psalmist, tracing the work of God's providence, says, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Psalm 33.5 and Psalm 107.43 God speaks to us in His Word. Here we have in clearer lines the revelation of His character, of His dealings with men, and the great work of redemption. Here is open before us the history of patriarchs and prophets and other holy men of old. They were men subject to like passions as we are. James 5.17 We see how they struggled through discouragements like our own, how they fell under temptation as we have done, and yet took heart again and conquered through the grace of God, and, beholding, we are encouraged in our striving after righteousness. As we read of the precious experiences granted them, of the light and love and blessing it was theirs to enjoy, and of the work they wrought through the grace given them, the spirit that inspired them kindles a flame of holy emulation in our hearts and a desire to be like them in character, like them to walk with God. Jesus said of the Old Testament scriptures, And how much more is it true of the new? They are they which testify of me, the Redeemer, him in whom our hopes of eternal life are centered. John 5.39 Yes, the whole Bible tells of Christ, from the first record of creation, for without him was not anything made that was made. To the closing promise, behold, I come quickly, we are reading of his works and listening to his voice. John 1.3 and Revelation 22.12 If you would become acquainted with the Savior, study the Holy Scriptures. Fill the whole heart with God's word. They are the living water quenching your burning thirst. They are the living bread from heaven. Jesus declares, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. And he explains himself by saying, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. John 6:53 53 and 63. Our bodies are built up from what we eat and drink. And as in the natural economy, so in the spiritual economy— It is what we meditate upon that will give tone and strength to our spiritual nature. The theme of redemption is one that the angels desire to look into. It will be the science and the song of the redeemed throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Is it not worthy of careful thought and study now? The infinite mercy and love of Jesus, the sacrifice made in our behalf, call for the most serious and solemn reflection. We should dwell upon the character of our Redeemer and Intercessor. We should meditate upon the mission of Him who came to save His people from their sins. As we thus contemplate heavenly themes, our faith and love will grow stronger, and our prayers will be more and more acceptable to God, because they will be more and more mixed with faith and love. They will be intelligent and fervent, There will be more constant confidence in Jesus and a daily living experience in His power to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by Him. As we meditate upon the perfections of the Savior, we shall desire to be wholly transformed and renewed in the image of His purity. There will be a hungering and thirsting of soul to become like Him whom we adore. The more our thoughts are upon Christ— the more we shall speak of him to others and represent him to the world. The Bible was not written for the scholar alone. On the contrary, it was designed for the common people. The great truths necessary for salvation are made clear as noonday, and none will mistake and lose their way except those who follow their own judgment instead of the plainly revealed will of God. We should not take the testimony of any man as to what the scriptures teach, but should study the words of God for ourselves. If we allow others to do our thinking, we shall have crippled energies and contracted abilities. The noble powers of the mind may be so dwarfed by lack of exercise on themes worthy of their concentration as to lose their ability to grasp the deep meaning of the word of God. The mind will enlarge if it is employed in tracing out the relation of the subjects of the Bible, comparing Scripture with Scripture, and spiritual things with spiritual. There is nothing more calculated to strengthen the intellect than the study of the Scriptures. No other book is so potent to elevate the thoughts, to give vigor to the faculties as the broad and truths of the Bible. If God's Word were studied as it should be, Men would have a breadth of mind, a nobility of character, and a stability of purpose rarely seen in these times. But there is but little benefit derived from a hasty reading of the Scriptures. One may read the whole Bible through and yet fail to see its beauty or comprehend its deep and hidden meaning. One passage studied until its significance is clear to the mind and its relation to the plan of salvation is evident is of more value than the perusal of many chapters with no definite purpose in view and no positive instruction gained. Keep your Bible with you. As you have opportunity, read it. Fix the text in your memory. Even while you are walking the streets, you may read a passage and meditate upon it, thus fixing it in the mind. We cannot obtain wisdom without earnest attention and prayerful study. Some portions of Scripture are indeed too plain to be misunderstood, but there are others whose meaning does not lie on the surface to be seen at a glance. Scripture must be compared with Scripture. There must be a careful research and prayerful reflection, and such study will be richly repaid. As the miner discovers veins of precious metal concealed beneath the surface of the earth, so will he who perseveringly searches the word of God as for hidden treasure find truths of the greatest value, which are concealed from the view of the careless seeker. The words of inspiration, pondered in the heart, will be as streams flowing from the fountain of life, Never should the Bible be studied without prayer. Before opening its pages, we should ask for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, and it will be given. When Nathaniel came to Jesus, the Savior exclaimed, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathaniel said, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. John 1 verses 47 and 48. And Jesus will see us also in the secret places of prayer if we will seek him for light, that we may know what is truth. Angels from the world of light will be with those who, in humility of heart, seek for divine guidance. The Holy Spirit exalts and glorifies the Saviour. It is his office to present Christ, the purity of his righteousness, the great salvation that we have through him. Jesus says, He shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. John 16, 14. The Spirit of truth is the only effectual teacher of divine truth. How must God esteem the human race, since He gave His Son to die for them, and appoints His Spirit to be man's teacher and continual guide?